Hi, everybody, and welcome to Sean and Dave Make Music. I'm Sean Arajo. And I'm Dave Trump. And this month, composer, pianist, and teacher Dan Townsend joins us to improvise, present some of his recent works, and talk. To find out more about Dan, check out his Instagram page, Feel the Keys. All right, let's jump right in. Basically, it stems from the idea that, like, uh, not to say it's impossible, but it's hard to... It's hard to be a noticed, and even if you are noticed, b have any kind of like solely musical career that is both fulfilling and actually gets you paid. Yeah. So that like <laughs> yeah, how many people in the country are doing that right now? Like without like major corporate sponsor backing, uh, <laughs> I might be able to count on one hand, if not two. <laughs> At least that's how I feel. It's you know, uh, there's plenty of people who do the DIY thing hard. But that's also like that's like a whole different subset skill than the music itself. Yeah, like that's yeah, something. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, it's basically you commit your life for for a huge number of years, so that you I mean not even get the record contract anymore. But that's the idea is it's like so that you get signed with something prominent that will give you media attention, so that you can go on the road, so that you can then produce more. But at no point is any one of those the end game of, oh, then we get a paycheck. It's right. You have to be happy with the process. (laughs) But that's also exactly the key. Like I was just talking with, um, with my friend, like this is a while ago, but about like, he's a phenomenal drummer, like incredible Mm -hmm. musician, you know, trained theory, all that, all that jazz. And I was talking with him about the idea of like success musically, like, and he's very much so like, he's also a great pianist. He loves to play Chopin, like nocturnes and preludes, stuff like that. And for him, the success comes from the, I finished it. It's done. Here was this insanely hard piece. I practiced it like crazy. It's under my fingers now. I got it. And that's the success is the end. Whereas for me, it is entirely about like the process. And the moment I finish something, I'm like, oh, that's instantly uninteresting to me. (laughs) And I'm totally done with this. And it's on to the next. Like, and you, I think in order, especially for like someone, because he's also, I mean, he's no longer like trying to make it in the musical world. He is like, he, he actually just like, freaking aced the MCAT so he's going to he's going to go to medical school like really soon somewhere like (laughs) but um for me that's why I stuck with it because it's like I I enjoy this process too much to like let it go even if it means like struggling my ass off like I really it's entirely a labor of love I never I, I never had like visions of grandeur going into this of like I'm going to make a lot of money doing this. Right. No, no, no. None of us chose this for that reason at all. But it's just, it's fun. The community and like the different people you meet in the different like subsets. Like, I mean, knowing you guys through the comp department and then even like, you know, meeting Dave later on afterwards, like through the teaching, you know, it's just interesting how many, even within the musical world, how many different like subsets and like facets there are to it. Yeah, it, everybody's got their own thing, and that's part of the problem is that, like, everybody is out there. Music Making music is so accessible these days. Like, the, you know, people making low-quality music, the, the I don't know, it's base most, of those well, people is, you, is you, insane. And the, then the base of people making mediocre to good and even great music is insanely huge. There's not, like, an audience for Mm-hmm. all the music that's being produced well how do you you know how do you distinguish yourself and how do you float to the top of that you know to the top of that dog pile like what what is it that makes something great and something else like not you know like either you're like being comically bad and you get like <laughs> recognition because of that 
or and the I William think it really, effect. it really comes down what what the William Hung effect. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Got you. Either that, or it's like you. What it really comes more down to, like what we were like saying before, the the branding, the marketing. Who are you trying to get your music out to, and how do you do that? You know, do you just like become a YouTube phenomenon by being like a freaking idiot, like on the <laughs> internet, and then people are looking at you. And then, like, it doesn't matter if people are laughing at you, laughing with you, you know, applauding you or booing you. If people are looking at you, you're famous and you can do something with that attention. Right. Well, I, that, this all kind of goes right into now the, that article. Let me just name drop it real quick. Um, So the article that I had, uh, it popped up on, on Facebook, of course. Um, It was from the Chicago Tribune and the guy's name was Chris Jones. Um. The article was called, Like It or Not, We Are in the Midst of a Second Arts Revolution. So anybody who wants to check it out, check it out. It's really good. Uh, His basic argument is that um, Johann Gutenberg and the printing press was the first kind of arts revolution uh, because it democratized the written word. So that took place in the religious world leading to the Reformation and in the secular world leading to the Enlightenment. That once people had the ability to get written word out of their own word, make mass copies, and also the ability for more people to read and have the opportunity to have written literature, that it totally changed our whole world outlook. And what he said is that with, for him, his job as a critic, and also in the arts for any field of the arts, and then also the, also the dilemmas of the nonprofits that are everywhere, um, is the fact that the what we consider the status quo of the last 150 years, not even 150, the last 100 years, what we've con- thought has always been, but has only been 100 years, is now gone. The idea that uh, if you do something in an artistic endeavor, that uh, if you go through the right channels and you have the right pedigree or the right name or work for the right company that that guarantees you will have a solid steady paycheck and a living from your work that's no longer guaranteed because it's so democratized that first off wonderful bright side is that there are tons of people who couldn't get through the gates originally but are brilliantly talented and they are having their opportunity to get exposed because it's a level playing field anybody Mm -hmm. can put their shit out there uh but two, the other side of it is that if you have something to say and if you're working and crafting on something, uh, in some ways you have just as likely of a chance of getting your stuff realized, whether you spend five minutes on it and spit it out to the internet or whether you crafted it for a year and a half and put it out on the internet, you're likely going to be still exposing your stuff to the same size group. It's probably your same number of peers who are going to be looking at it and then hopefully it will branch out further. Um, well, and similar yeah, yeah. to like the the idea that the printing press like revolutionized, it also re- revolutionized the way that people think, especially yeah. because it made literacy boom. Mm-hmm. Like it made mm-hmm. it so that because there's more word to be read, people are going to read more. It's like you know, and now that we've got this technological boom and this whole idea that the internet is like you can disseminate anything to anyone at any time. It makes, as well as like there are programs like Ableton, Pro Tools, things that, you know, mixing and mastering, that's no longer this arcane art. Like right. any Anybody any nine-year-old can, can pick up Ableton <laughs> and then just tinker with it long enough that they like figure out some cool shit, you know? Yep. And it, it makes it so that when you have so many people who do it and put it out there, how do you distinguish 
what's good and what's not beyond just who your friends are. Like one of the right. best, one of the best quotes that I can give. I, I, I forget who said this, unfortunately, but it's that your friends are not your fans. Your friends are your fan, friends and right. your fans are your fans. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't personally know your fans. So if there's someone who you don't know who likes your music, that's a fan. If there's someone who you're friends with, that's your friend. Of course, they're right. going to support like, what <laughs> exactly. you're doing. Unless they're a complete jackass, in which case, are you really friends? Like, are you... So like 600 of my Facebook friends are jackasses because they like my music? <laughs> well, that only depends if they're like listening to your shit and they like, like you as a person, but they're like... <laughs> but I mean, you're, it's kind of like your parents. Like, you're, like, I, I, there are definitely like parents throughout the world who's like, yes, my son or daughter or you know, whatever is going into music and I'm totally proud of that. And there are other parents who are like, we support your decision <laughs> until you make a better decision. Yeah. <laughs> so let's take a listen to our first improvisation of the day. As usual, for this first one, we decided not to set any parameters. We just said, all right, we're going to play together.
Well, I think what that all feeds into, or at least for me, what I was in my feverish state the last week, <laughs> reflecting on all this, was like that. Um, it it goes to the question of like, well, what are your motives? Because uh, if you're hoping to produce your art, whatever field that's in, if you're hoping to produce your art because you want to connect to a massive number of people, you have to reconcile the fact that you are. Um, it's not so much that the internet is a void that you're sending it out into as much as like, it's like white noise. Like there are so many mm -hmm. megaphones going at the same time. So the megaphones is kind of stealing the idea from this guy in the article, but he was talking about how each person feels the world revolves around them more and more because we have a channel where we can say everything we're thinking. Yeah. Um, You've got a constant soapbox under you. Exactly. Like and because of that, it's like, it's a field of white noise. And so, um, you have to accept in that field of white noise that uh, what you put out there may not get received. Or if it does get received, you may never know it got received. Um, and so then it goes to the question of like, well, if there's no security in... Uh, if you're looking for the payoff in terms of the recognition or the pat on the head or the ego stroke or whatever, it's not going to be found there. And if you're looking at it as an avenue for a sure... Um, financial security of some sort or a promise that you'll be able to do that and only that if you work at your art. You know what I mean? Um, the, that is not necessarily really a guarantee at all anymore. Um, so it just brings back around to the, like, why are you doing it? I was reflecting a lot this week for myself about, like, the, you know, like, uh, this is very rudimentary, but the why do you compose? Who do you compose for? What yeah. is your reasoning? Yeah. And I think, like, you need to have that heart-to-heart -heart with yourself occasionally. Absolutely. And, like, reaffirm of, like, this is why, oh, yeah, this is what I love. This is why I'm doing it. Exactly. And especially with, you know, if we take, like, that in reference to music, because there's, you know, there's dance, there's, like, yeah. painting, there's, like, visual art and whatnot. But with music, you know, the physical components are melody, harmony, rhythm. And then that, like, subsets down into phrasing, articulation, dynamic. But then if you keep digging into it, it comes to, you know, breath and momentum and motion. And even like further than that is it comes down to intention. What are you trying to say, especially if you're writing instrumental music, if you're yeah. writing, you know, what are you trying to say? And even if it's not like, oh, I'm trying to make something beautiful or I'm trying to make something ugly. It's not <laughs> as like clear cut as that. But you have to think at a very core level, who is going to like this? Who is going to enjoy this? And I think, because I used to write music solely for myself. I used to write some stupid music. <laughs> and I've written like, like probably 97% of the music I've written, no one has ever heard other than me. And it's like amazing, because I used to do that thinking like, oh, this is just practice. I'm just like, I'm just getting prepared for like, when someone like will hear my music. And this is just, and I realize now that I look back on that and I'm like, yeah, it was, it was fun. I enjoyed the process, but if I'm not like having other people even hear it, you know, why am I doing it? So that absolutely plays into that role of like, who is this getting out to? Why am I doing this? And what is my intention with this music? And I feel yeah. as though, you know, I'm 28. Like I feel as though I, I thought I knew what I was doing from like 22 to now. Do you mean life-wise or music-wise? Both. Oh, <laughs> okay. both. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But especially like at one point when I was playing in like a progressive rock band that we had no idea how to market ourselves. Like I was like, maybe if we just like keep playing the same venues, like more people will show up or something. It does, it does not work that way. So for anyone who's playing in a rock band, if you don't like know people or are able to make it so that you're the dude or chick to know 
you right. are going nowhere. Like, I, I hate to be really blunt about that. Unless you're touring constantly and playing in front of little even, new audiences. Even so. Even so. I know plenty of people who are, like, professional tourers that they get maybe, like, a slight step further. But it's because you don't have the, you know, you're not getting put on billboards. You're not having your face shoved in front of people you don't know who aren't your fans on Facebook because you don't have that kind of monetary backing unless you take that plunge. If you make something that you feel in your heart of hearts, yo, this is worth it. People will like this. If I can just shove it into people's faces hard enough, <laughs> people will start to get it. But that takes that plunge. And that's partly what I've been like kind of shying away from personally is that I've written all this music, but there isn't much that I felt like I've wanted to like, yo, I could like take out a loan, promote this hard, you know, get an image, get a brand, get a logo, get a manager, get a publicist, get a producer. It takes a village to make one person famous. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But then there's the question of like, why? Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, why? Also, I don't like, want to be famous. Like, who but that's wants what I, to be famous? I right. want to be famous. <laughs> 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 but that's what I mean. It does come down to the like, um, yeah, like the what. I, I don't know how much we want to go into psychoanalysis type stuff here. <laughs> but like, I know for me, like the question of like the why do you compose, who do you compose for, that kind of stuff. Like, I've had professors ask that over the years, and I know I've changed dramatically, you know, and different hats I've worn over the years yeah. of like why I'm composing, who I'm composing for. Um, and it's not that there's one right or wrong answer by any means. It's just, it's whatever wherever each person is and what they're doing it for. And at but, any given time, you should be able to answer it. Right. At any given time, it should be like this. Yeah, exactly. Because otherwise, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, for any composer, be yeah. able to answer that question. Exactly. But That's, oh, oh, well, do we want to go, do we want to do a round robin and talk about our, our feelings on that? Or sure is thing. that a... Sure, go right ahead. Okay. Yeah, I mean, for me, most recently, because I, I, for me, uh, when we're talking about larger life things of figuring out our shit, you know, the classic what you do in your 20s now. It used to be what you did at the end of your teenage years. Now with our generation, it's by the time I'm 30, I need to know what I'm doing with my life. Um, but one thing that I've been, I feel like for me, it's been this two-part thing. So like one thing that I'm wonderfully confident and happy about is that I've been teaching for almost four years collegiately now. And I know that I love it. And I know that that's what I want to do. And there's also a beautiful comfort in like, well, I still need to go through my doctoral. I know what I need that. So I know it's 10 years before job security. But I have this happy security that I'm like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I enjoy it. I'm fucking great at it. And I know that I'm good enough that I will get a good job eventually once I get through the right credentials and get a couple jobs and the usual shit. But like... The usual stuff. <laughs> Sorry, so you already said yeah. fuck. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, I did. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> All right, so, um, but it's this thing where, uh, like, I, I, I'm confident in that half. Now, for me, the the other crux for me is figuring out like what does that mean for me as a composer? Like, why am I composing? Because I've tried many different reasons the last few years of, and for me, what it's really come back around to, honestly, has been that. Um, what I miss most about thinking about when I wrote music throughout high school, when I wrote music in undergrad and stuff, was that uh, a lot of times I wasn't aware of it, but when I was writing music, it was because I was like, oh, I'm playing these tunes with my friends in band or in uh, an ensemble or in a four piece or whatever. And I'm like, oh, 
Like, this is really great. What if we took that idea, though, and fleshed it out? I really want to hear what that would do. Like, it was this thing of it came from a place of I am playing an instrument and loving playing this instrument. But, oh, my God, it would be so much fun if we played X, Y, Z. And then I turned that into a song. Mm. And that I've gotten very far away from. So, for me, my newer approach, which I think this podcast has been helping with as a start, but it's like, oh, I want to compose actively for people who I am playing with, not writing for an ensemble and then hunting down people to play it. And then, because then the payoff, it's very nice to go to a concert. Right. <laughs> yes. Dan is making the gesture of shooting himself in the head. <laughs> but it's that thing of like, there is a nice payoff of sitting in an audience and hearing your music realized the way that you heard it in your head for so long. And being able to be like, oh, other people can hear that idea now because it's been in my my head and I've loved it and we can share it now but it for me it feels so far removed from where the joy is for me the joy is I want to play that and if I can't play it I better work my chops because I want to play that Ooh, you yeah. know and that for me is the the newer like oh that's what was missing compositionally and that's where I'm personally that's my you know my newer direction but like when it comes to things of like getting success and stuff like like if if success comes my way, God bless, I would love for more and more people to hear my music. But for me right now, the most important vehicle for me is, like, I want to write music that I will love playing. And then put it out, perform it live, do whatever. But that's for the joy of I want to go out and play it and share it. But, like, for me, the playing is the missing attachment. I've been a composer removed from what I've been writing for too long. That's the... Mm. That's the mm. big thing. All right, let's take a listen to our next improvisation. This one we did in 7-8, and there are definitely some flute notes in there that I'm not fond of at all, particularly in the beginning. But we really liked how this one came together overall, the general arc of it, so we decided to leave everything in. Thank you. 
my take is sort of <laughs> similar to yours in in a way that um, I you know I love playing what I write. I, I'm yeah. very much a performer composer um, and a performer more than a composer in my mind probably. But the question of why do I write music overall, I I don't really know how to answer. I, my I my mind is producing music all the time and. I wish there was a way to just put it right from my mind into something that I didn't have to like use yeah. my hands and figure <laughs> it out. Like if I could just get it right from there to the page, God, that would be awesome. Um, so I guess that's kind of my answer. Like I, I like my body is just going to be making music and I choose to put it down and sometimes just, you know, use the air that's inside me and play it through my flute and, you know, improvise. So I, I think it's it's fun to see what I can do, you know, I, I don't know, see yeah. what my body can make into real life. I think it's crazy <laughs> that I can blow a specific way and do so many different things with this weird instrument. Um, and the whole thing of just composing and putting what is in your brain into other people's brains is an interesting idea. And I think that's why I just want to explore that. And of course, I mean, I write, I write in a lot of different genres and play in a lot of different genres at all times on some level, you know, so some of the music certainly I compose is more for myself than others. Um, the ska CDs that I've put out in the past couple of years are mostly because that's what I wanted to hear. Yeah. And it's for the joy of you wanted to play that. And yeah. It and and it's something it. that I, I felt like didn't, wasn't really out there you know, in that form. And so if I can contribute something to my own listening pool of things that I like, <laughs> that's great. Next up, we've got a piece that Dave composed. This one's got a really interesting drum part. He's doing five against three against two. He's got five in the hi-hat, two on the rim of the snare drum, and three in the bass drum.
And I think it's important for any for any musician, no matter how you identify currently as a musician, to wear a lot of different kinds of hats. Because I've I've especially worn especially these days. Yeah. I, oh yeah, absolutely. I've worn the performer hat hard. I've worn the solo pianist hat. I've worn the the composer's hat and the teacher's hat. And I'm realizing what kinds of hats in what different ways I like. Like after performing for so long in different rock bands, I'm like, you know what, like. I'm not really a performer in that, like, when I play and I get in my zone, I do that more like scrunch face, no, don't look at me type <laughs> on, instead of, like, being like, yeah, I'm making eye contact with everyone in the crowd, <laughs> not fun to look at shit, you know? It's like, no, I'm more like the, like, the introverted, like, I'm just doing my, my thing over here. But um, that's why, uh, as I wear, but I always know, I will always wear the composer's and the teacher's hat. I know I love to write music in the same way, Sean, that you were saying that like it's just what pours out of you. It's just constantly flowing. It just always goes. It 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 never stops. For someone who has found that they like doing it, it's like the moment you're like, wow, I like writing music. Your whole life is just like, well, I guess I'm going to write music the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. That's what yeah. I'm doing. You know, even if I get a job doing real estate, I'm still going to be thinking about music when yeah. I'm like, um, and that's just, that's like an itch that you have to scratch always. Like whether or not yeah. you're scratching it, it's there. And you're like, mm -hmm. but, um, but I also love to teach and I'm so glad that I have that because I'm not totally screwed in like life <laughs> right <laughs> like, you know see I like I love helping people understand what it is about music that they like whether they really like finishing classical music pieces you know and I'm like and I can help them get there oh my god that's great that's such a good feeling to like help a student finish a thing and helping them with, you know, beyond like, okay, no, it's E flat. Oh my God. <laughs> There's a flat in the key. Sin yes. A key signature is when, oh my God, can I quit now? Like, yeah. no, 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 no. Like I, I really do. I love, I love helping them with that, but I feel like my compositional process is what helps me to teach people better. Like yeah. I hate feeling like I'm bullshitting people. Like when I'm right, like, yeah. if someone, if someone, like I remember I was just teaching a, I'm just teaching the, um, the Chopin prelude E minor, the like really pretty one it was in like that pianist movie. Oh yeah. It's just really nice. Yeah. It's just all, all, that's the whole thing. There you go. Right there. But, um, a student was like, uh, what does stretto mean? And I'm sitting there in the back of my mind. I'm like, fuck, I've taught this tune like three times and I don't remember. <laughs> so I look at them and like real serious and I'm like I will always do this I always tell my students to ask me questions and all that and I'm like I don't know but the internet is big yeah so exactly. let's just look it up, up all real time. quick yeah. and it's worth the two but, minutes but that's the thing so the more that I know and the more that I've like learned the better that I can push it out to people but with with composition um like what I'm trying to do with my compositions now, I've worn a lot of different hats with that. Like with the teaching, I'm about to go into collegiate teaching. I got a okay. TA position at UDEL. So I'm Sweet. about to go teach the intro awesome. theory classes. So I'm super stoked about that. But with my writing, I used to be like, I want to make shit that's really intricate, interesting, and complex. So I was in a prog rock band. That didn't go very far because we didn't have like good marketing branding we had no idea what we were doing we were just all over the place with our image our tunes we had no conformity okay. even though our music was like the only thing that was consistent was our music was stupid it was like all <laughs> over the place and then i was like i want to make music that's really really beautiful i want to make like 
hyper consonant music you know like it's like too pretty almost you're like listening to it like god barf it's like so pretty i like can't and then i realized that i didn't want my music to be the only thing that people were interacting with when viewing what i was doing or hearing what i was doing Mm -hmm. so the viewing aspect came into it and i realized i want to make music that people can watch as well I used to I used to think I want to make music that people can dance to. Okay. And then it turned into I want to make music people can watch. So recently I've been delving into a lot of different musical realms and one of the best oh one of the best pieces of advice that I got was be able to do anything convincingly like genre-wise. So it's like yeah. and so I um I wanted to write music for dance so I started taking dance lessons. And so I started taking ballet thinking, like, I want to write music for, you know, for dance, for ballet. And it took me a long ass time to make networks that I could actually do that. But it was worth it. It took me like two and a half years to like, and one of my like sole reasons that I took dance was I want to write music for dance. Mm -hmm. And so I finally got a chance to like this past spring show. It just happened on like the third of June. um, I was approached by one of the choreographers and she's like, I want to write it. I want you to write a tango. So it's not even like balletic music. It's a, it's a tango. Right. But I was like, yo, yo, yeah, <laughs> I'm all, I'm all over it. And the thing is, if I didn't know anything about Latin music, if I didn't know any like driving rhythmic or harmonic factors in that, I would have been like, oh, shit, this is going to suck. <laughs> this is going to be really bad. But that's just me. I can't, like I said before, I can't bullshit. But I wrote this thing. It got choreographed. I was just stoked. I was thrilled. And I was like, this is so cool. I'm like watching the fact that there's a choreographer who listened to it, who made steps to it. There are, and it's, it's students, you know, it's a Mm -hmm. school. It's not like a professional dance company, but there's students between the age of like 14 and 18 who were dancing to this. Some of them really want to be professional dancers. So some of them are quite talented and good, Mm -hmm. but it was like this, I could absolutely pursue this more. And here's an excerpt from The Multicolored Tango by Dan Townsend.
So the deeper I dug with those connections at the ballet school and going along with the I want to write music that can be viewed as well, I got hooked up with a juggler. His name's Greg Kennedy. He's, uh, he's got this whole, it's great, this whole shtick of Greg Kennedy, innovative juggler. And he, <laughs> and he, but it's like spot on. The dude doesn't just do the, you know, like throwing the balls in the air. <laughs> yeah. He's got some of the coolest routines I've ever seen. He does this one thing that he's in this gigantic like cone tube thing of like, like clear see-through, like I want to say PBC, but it's just like plexiglass shit. Mm -hmm. okay. And he rolls balls along it and oh. he like catches them and rolls them back and he can roll like motherfucking seven balls at the same time. <laughs> like catching them, like pushing them back. And I'm the first time I saw it, I was like, yo. <laughs> and he And he used to juggle with Cirque du Soleil. And so he, and he would do that routine with them. So then when he quit Cirque, mm -hmm. he couldn't use the music that he was using before. Oh, which, yeah. So he needed new music for his routine. So his routine was already set. So it was almost like I was doing film scoring. Mm -hmm. And it was so much fun. But it was also How really hard. It was really How did that process go? Did you have videos of him? Yes, yes. Okay. I had videos of him and he always did he did it to a 128 click count and he well, I good. mean yeah. we had to we had to map like where cuz so at you first knew, like it, the phrases then you're building out like eight, Yes, exactly. Then then at 16, first then it I, starts yeah. exactly. It starts with he wanted like six full phrases of eight as like an intro where he's like, you know, tossing a ball up, he rolls one around, catches it again. It's like the intro. And then he has a three ball section and then there's a break. And then a five ball section, and then another break, and then a seven ball section, and then like an outro where all the balls are just rolling and he gets out of the thing and it like, you know, goes off. But the thing is, this isn't like, oh, this is four counts of eight. This is eight counts of eight. This is 16 counts of eight. No, 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 no. The five ball section was like 21 counts of eight. <laughs> yeah. And then seven was like 11 and a half. It was like, <laughs> I was like, yo, how am I going to? But it helped me grow. It helped me like be able to score it a bit more, so I can't just do like, boom, doom, 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 and I can't just ride that the whole time because yeah. otherwise it's like, doom, 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 doom. and then it's like <laughs> over there, and I'm like, oh snap, that's really awkward. But it was, you know, it just goes along with the whole like the more I learn, and I just really, I'm I'm really interested to continue that process because even when I go to Udell, I'm like looking forward to hooking up with the dance department. Yeah. And really seeing what I can do. Because thankfully, when I was talking to the comp professor there, she was like, yeah, you know, our dancers are always looking for music. And nice. I'm just excited to explore that. Long-winded segment over. Well, that's, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's such a cool thing and a cool way to get out of it being just you. I mean, being yeah. a band obviously is one way to do that. And you've, you've found a really interesting new avenue to... To do that, uh, is there any? Do you have any samples of the music that you wrote with this? I, I do. It's called Conic, which is like the cone, and it's like um, I don't know. We like chatted about like different vibes that he wanted because one that he was using, the one with like Cirque, was like super up and like way like millions of rhythms happening, but there's mm -hmm. still like backbeat. And the other one he was using after the Cirque thing, he was like, it's like dark death storms over you, and like you're dying. <laughs> and I'm like rolling balls in a cone around it. <laughs> so he asked me if I could like split the split middle the difference, and yeah. have it be, and that's like essentially what that is. So that's the idea going into that.
you've got a famous last name. Is that hard to live up to? <laughs> There's no H. There's oh, okay. no H. All right, gotcha. So it is Daniel Townsend. Yep. So I'm not Townshend. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, but. No? <laughs> Good answer. The only time I ever get asked that, it's in like a completely joking manner. Yeah. So I can joke back and be like, yeah, he's my uncle twice removed. Like, yeah. But I, I never actually say that. I just taught me everything. <laughs> I know. Taught me everything I know. He taught me the piano. No. <laughs> yeah, because that's the thing. I don't even play guitar. So, um, Are there other instruments that you do play? <laughs> nope. Uh, I really, I tried, I tried picking up. I mean, I, I understand the functionality of the guitar. But I don't, I haven't like dug into it to feel as though I can sit down and jam with someone. Mm -hmm. But I've learned it enough that I feel as though if I want to write melodic lines for guitar, I can like play them and at least at a core bass level be like, okay, this isn't like entirely non-idiomatic to the instrument. Right. Like, yeah. I can, yeah. yeah. Uh, on, on some level, if you can do it. Someone if I can, can do it, yeah. someone who knows what they're doing should. That was my that it. was my way of writing piano for years. Yeah. Was was just like if I can do it slowly, somebody else can do it easily. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still like uh, writing for piano. I think is one of the most intimidating things to me. It's yeah, it's hard. That's I, every time. I, like I've gotten more and more comfortable with piano, but the more that I write for it over the years, like every time I think like, oh, this is starting to get even more interesting and idiomatic. It's always like. I'm always worried it's going to be tricky at one spot or another, and then inevitably I hand it to like a real pianist, you know, um, and they look it over and they're like, "Oh no, this is perfectly comfortable." But then they're also like, "It's also a little super easy and boring. You could go harder." You know, that's, that's <laughs> it's either, it's either that or you know, especially if you get someone who's like a monster reader, like yeah. which I never was in my life. I was never a great reader of music, which is why when I started improvising, I was like, "This is fantastic." <laughs> <laughs> but um, like. I remember I wrote a piece that literally I called it reality distortion field because I like made it like kind of purposefully out. Okay. And there's a guy who comes to who comes to my dad's youth group, you know, he, not youth group, not youth, uh, like just Bible study, you know. Okay. But he is like he's like a trained organist, you know, sight reading extraordinaire, and the music was up on the piano, and he just sight read. It. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? The Are you yeah. serious? learned this if someone else had written this and put this in front of me i wouldn't have been able to learn it in a month and he's like reading he's reading it down he's like oh yeah it's kind of like shostakovich oh yeah this is sort of like ravel like this kind of like airy stuff and, like, <laughs> and he's like killing it so i feel like with like someone who is at like that caliber of playing someone who is like a concert pianist yeah. you can put anything yeah, in they front just, of them and they'll be like yeah i can figure it out yeah like, i got it don't worry yeah. Yep. <laughs> so when it comes to if you're working like like you were talking about before, you know you don't want to like hunt down an ensemble. Yep. If you know you're writing a piece for someone who is like mega at piano, you can do anything. anything yeah, you yep. want. <laughs> That's a, the. Um, I remember in uh, grad school in, or in, in Cincinnati, like one of the things that came up, like if I was writing for piano, there'd be times where like the players were just once like beastly good, and. Um, if we were ever like doing a rehearsal of something and they would have an incident where something would like they'd have they'd make a mistake and they'd make the same mistake twice inevitably like they'd always be like oh no 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 it's just me i'd be like don't bullshit me like please be honest like if it's not idiomatic there if you're making the same mistake twice it's probably cuz i wrote it's something because, poorly tell yeah. me what it is and i will do it better next time yeah. like you know <laughs> No, I, I dig. And I, you know, it's funny. I've always, I've always wanted that kind of input, especially like from, uh, the dance people. Is oh yeah. That, mm. 
Because I, for a while, like, pra- like once again, I was talking about like everything I've written has been like practice if nobody mm. else hears it. So for a while, I wanted to try and like practice writing for dance by writing ballet warm-up exercises. Okay. But I realized it's really hard. Mm. It's actually very difficult, especially because it's simpler if you just stay more harmonically simple. But I wanted to purposefully see if I could branch out and still make it work in these like bars of eight. Have you ever tried being a dance accompanist for their rehearsals? Well, yes and no. Like, I would love to, but... I mean, it's not, it's funny. I feel like I would be better at writing for dance if I just sat down and heard the exercise. Because I've learned all the terminology. I know how to do Mm -hmm. most of it now other than like advanced steps. So I feel like if they're like, you know, two fondue front, two fondue side, you know, tumbling the back, I'd be like, okay. And I could just improvise something out. Right. But when I'm sitting there in my room and I don't have a sequence in my head, and I have to try and figure it out. It's like I have too many directions I could go. Right. And so it like, but whenever like, because I, the people who I befriended first at the studio were the pianists, mm-hmm. were all the accompanists. Yep. And then I befriended the teachers because I connect with them on the teaching level. And I'm also like a little older than all the dancers. So it just made sense that I would, you know, befriend the administration rather than right. the dancers themselves. And I give the pianists the music that I've been writing to be like, does this work? Is this like... And they're like, oh, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, yo, no, 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 no. I'm like really asking your opinion here. Like, would you play this in a class? Is this something that you feel like, oh, yeah, this would work great with a tondu with plie exercise. Yeah, this would yeah. be. And they're like, well, you know, a lot of stuff works with. And I'm like, no, it doesn't, yeah. no. <laughs> well, that's I, like, I, I mean, I did accompanying at Westchester for their dance classes for a while. Oh, like, but awesome. not, not on anything pitched it was purely percussion so like what i did was i would usually come down there with like my djembe some shaky different percussion and then a trash setup where i'd have like styrofoam with like some you know empty wine bottles and things like that and i'd just improvise (laughs) and like uh i found that that really helped like i mean i've never written out on paper stuff for dance but just improvising for their groups does wonders because more often than not it's like they they need the beat Especially, I mean, when I was doing percussion, like, but they need the beat explicitly kind of hit out. Like, it it has to whack them over the head. You can dance around it, have fun, but somewhere in the element, you need to be explicitly, explicitly. Because I love polyrhythm, so I would be like, the beat's in there. It's, listen to this part and this part. I'm just, you know, filling it in. But too much will, you know what I mean? It's about, it teaches you less like do less (laughs) and even so like that you know like you have to trust that it's there but i mean especially because i know exactly what you mean polyrhythm yeah like yeah exactly and they're like which one what yeah (laughs) twos and threes threes and fours fours. that stuff just it will throw them unless in that context that's just like a rumble while somewhere else you are explicitly just and whacking out that beat. Yeah. Right. There's like a funk yeah, on like exactly. one of like every measure. Bash. Yeah. There's but a bass like, tone on one like every that time. That binder last spring I um uh if I could if I yeah. could get that. Last spring I spent like the entire spring I to get like momentum going and to prepare for writing music for the grad school stuff, I wrote a piece a day for like two and a half months. So I just wrote like Music after music. After oh, yeah, that music. was your etude collection, yeah, right? This is nice. my etude collection. I wrote like 12 nocturnes, like three passacaglias. I wrote a jet. This one's actually really dope. This jazz acaglia and F sharp minor. This, I actually really like this piece. <laughs> but I found that like when I didn't like hold I wrote like seven rags. When I didn't hold on to it too tightly, 
it like poured out a lot more easily. That's awesome. You know, when I didn't spend like a month like pouring over one thing, I would just sit down, write something, stand up, done. Yeah. That's it. The next day, sit down, write something. But also, I'm not making the scores look beautiful. I have no tempo markings, mm. no like just dynamics, no phrasing, no yeah. articulation. It's just here's a set of notes that you can just express to if you want. Mm -hmm. But like even so, no one's ever heard any of this. You know, I, I have like you, a have binder. You full have you recorded of all of them? Like I have recorded up? them. It's up on a SoundCloud. But I'm not like I was talking okay. about before. I'm not like actively trying to push it out because right. they're just. They're cute little character pieces. That's what know? I was going to say. Like, out of the 97% of the music that you've uh, written that nobody's heard, what of that can you play and give the world premiere on our podcast? Uh, this, <laughs> that's true. This, absolutely. This is um, the multicolored tango. And even so, like, working, this is what Nino, um, Nino Gavaz, oh my God, her last name, Gavazaba. <laughs> this is what she choreographed. Oh, but sweet. even so, I wrote like 10 minutes of a tango. She's like, oh, I like these three minutes, right. and that's yep. the that's the that's what's hard about writing for dance. If with some composers, is they're like, but you don't get like the overall arc of like the beginning, and then that theme comes back here, but it's really hard. <laughs> it's really yeah. cool. You totally missed the original theme, <laughs> but no, it's cool. But um, I was just happy to get it choreographed. But here, okay, so like basically these pages, and you can have this. These pages are what the multicolored tango is and even and once again i knew that i was going to be writing this and just playing it myself recording it and giving it to her mm -hmm. for like can music mm -hmm. or playing it myself so when it comes to like the real nitty-gritty work of like are the articulations and all of the dynamics yeah. and phrasing i didn't bother spending time because that like comes naturally it, well exactly and like i can make choices about it each time which isn't good for the dance thing because they need it like like you said like bash them over the head with right. the same thing over and over but when it comes to composition i feel like 15 percent of it is actually like when it comes to writing music 15 percent of it is putting the notes in and getting like the note like values and like all the durations and everything to line up and then the other 85% is just slaving over making it look nice if you're right. going to give it to other people. Mm -hmm. And, that's and making sure, absolutely sure, that what you want comes across yeah. or, to you someone know, else. And for me, a lot of the choices that I have to make, if I'm like writing something in F minor and I want to like step into E major for a moment and then back to F minor, I'm like, well, do I write it as like F flat major because I'm already in the flat side? Or do I just like take a right. measure and change the key signature? Or do I just natural out everything? So recently with my writing, I've kind of like stopped caring about key signatures. Just naturaling out the whole thing? Exactly. Or, yeah. I, just, I just like sharpen flat out the whole thing yeah. because my music has like started to push more towards a tonality with a hint of a tonal center. You know, it's, it's not as like, it's not as clear cut. I'm in C minor now. It's like, I do all these like sidesteps and like, do I really want to like natural, 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 flat, 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 <laughs> natural, 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 next measure, you know? Yeah. And then everyone's like, right. well, is it still, which is why you ever see in music? I'm sorry. This is like tiny rant. I hate <laughs> it in music when you go to the next measure and it puts the little parentheses around like the sharp or the natural or whatever it was that you would change. And I'm uh -oh. like, 
bro, it's the next measure. Like, that is implied. You don't, like, I, for me, that's just, I don't you know. You hate you guys courtesy accidentals? Like, that's a pet peeve. It doesn't it's bother like, me because it helps my students. I was going to say, it has saved me a headache so many times writing in courtesy accidentals for my students. Not ahead of time, but like, wait for them to make the mistake twice, and if I see a tantrum coming, I'm like, why don't we write in this little courtesy not, accidental? Like, but if we take <laughs> this out of the context of your students, I'm talking about for me, when I'm reading for music, your going, I'm yeah. like... So it throws you for a second, because you're it thinking... Thro it yeah. throws me, especially because in my own music, then I'm like, well, do I have to write that little parentheses? Because then, like, it kind of defeats the purpose of, like... It just yeah. it, it's it's frustrating to me. Yeah. Because also, do you also find that like you have to make choices about like okay, do I write what I know is theoretically and compositionally sound and makes sense theory wise, or do I write what I know what is easier to yeah. read from someone who you know has played a ton of music? I'll, I tend I, towards the latter. Yeah, I I avoid um, enharmonics like uh, when you get to the realm of. Like double sharps, uh, like that kind of stuff. I just avoid that outright. I think like, it makes sense if it's a lower neighbor tone or something like that, yeah. and you're in a hard key. Like, sure, that right. totally but makes like, sense. But for the most, most part, of the just, time, yeah, just don't do the. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm such. Oh my god, I'm such a purist in that way. <laughs> I but like. I have, I I have a composition student that also is in your camp, where like she will like write it exactly how the theory. How prescribes the it was, yeah. but then what happens is that like most of the time she's writing in finale so then when we go like let's check that on the piano it takes forever to like decipher for a second like what do we mean here you know yeah. it's like yeah. like if i just say like oh that's blah 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 chord then my brain does it great but if i have to pick out note for note for a second like until my brain realizes what the harmony is going through it for a second with all those it's just Painstaking. It's, yeah. And it's really, it's it's true, but I kind of don't care. Because <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I know how to play it. <laughs> right, no, exactly. <laughs> but like, for example, like I gave, like the one accompanist, Edie, at the studio is like, she's this retired elderly woman. She's so sweet and she's a monster pianist, you know, mm -hmm. she's, and I gave her, I wrote one, one rag in here. I wrote a rag in like D flat and then I like shifted it up to D for a moment and then back to D flat. And she was like, Dan, <laughs> Dan, like, just write it, honestly, just transpose the whole thing down to C. I already don't like reading flats. And when you throw all these sharps in there for, like, a measure, I'm just like, just write it in C, Dan. Just take it all down half step. I'm like, uh, but I like it in D flat. <laughs> but, yeah, it was just, uh, it's just... Well, that's me. Sometimes it needs to be in D flat. Sometimes it's gotta be in D flat. It's a different color. It's good for you. It's a rich color. <laughs> it's <laughs> D flat has a has a it's a richness. It's got a richness. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't know. I don't. Have you guys heard about the Mozart thing of like, like he um like mapped it out that like A is heroic and C is pastoral. Oh yeah, 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 I've heard that. Like I feel like yes and kind of. You know, I like, take it as like it's uh, well. I I just think everybody hears it differently for every key. Like, yeah, or, yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like I believe those associations are there, but I don't believe that the way I perceive them is the way other people. It's necessarily. Yeah. yeah, I'm not gonna always make a heroic. You know, right? But, exactly. Yeah. But it's like that that tonality will lend itself because I I think of it in terms of like registers on the piano. Like there are certain voicings that work really well mm -hmm. in A, whereas if you tried those same things in E flat, it would either be too muddy low or, or above that harmonic sweet spot. Yep. You know, 
So it just lends itself to different shapes, and it's really, it's like interesting for me to just try and. And I think part of that has to probably do with orchestration, as far as other you know orchestral instruments, because like the flute is not as not nearly as uniform as your tone on piano. My C sharp sounds way different than my D. Yeah. So you know, if you think oh, of you mean like you mean timbre wise of like timbre wise, no yeah, because interesting C sharp, I've got no holes co covered. D is right there, but I flip to this, which yeah. is completely different. So, yeah, it's like the difference oh, between. Oh, I yeah. see what you mean now. See, I never really thought about that, like timbre-wise, even within the single instrument, like because then there's definitely like with trumpet, there's like different, like you go oh, high yeah. and you are like piercing brass city. Whereas if you play low, it can be like kind of sonorous and sweet. You know, Absolutely. you don't have to like blow people out of the room with it. But I never really thought about that with flute. I felt like that would be a more uniform. And it's yeah, it's interesting how it's not not necessarily tied to the registers. You know, those two notes are yeah. so oh. close and they're very different timbre. But that's yeah, also yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that's very strongly equated like with the guitar, the difference of using open strings for a melodic line versus using like all on the neck. Mm -hmm. yeah. you, you know, like or up the neck, I should say. Yeah. Like just it's that same thing of like there's you it, it can be beautiful to use the open strings of the guitar for certain sounds and certain moments but also it can make it sound uneven and you have to really Absolutely, fight yeah. to smooth out the timbre if you're playing like something in first position on the guitar you know or sorry is just yeah when you're playing in first position on the guitar using the open strings with the frets on those notes there's a world of difference between those open strings and, and the others oh see i don't i don't have to think about it in that way at all yeah what i do have to think about is like um kind of sweet spots for what you're going for it's <laughs> like if you play like you know, double roots in like, like if you play an octave like way low on the piano, it's just gonna be beef. If you throw anything else down there, it's mud. Yeah. And same with like, I remember Dr. Kleinfelter telling me about, and this is like a really good rule of thumb for anyone who wants to play like jazz or improv, if you keep your pinky at two B flats below middle C and the B flat below middle C, if you keep your pinky within there mm -hmm. and you make voicings around there, that is like the harmonic gold. Okay. That is the hmm. sweet spot. You can make super thickness there and it'll still be like clear. And then the melody starts like C and above. Yeah. Like of like that, you can really start to perceive the height of it and like the, and so I think about it more that way. But I guess even so, cause like higher notes don't ring out. So you gotta like, like I guess it more comes down to balance. Like that's why you kind of teach piano in that like you got to play a little harder with your right hand than your left because right. your left hand, the lower strings and the lower notes are going to naturally be louder, and you want to hear the melody more generally if it's not a bass melody for like you know what I mean. Right. But yeah, um, yeah it's just yeah. It, it's, it, every instrument's got its quirk. It is know? interesting hearing your your quirks and you're like your brain is is different than mine because you're a pianist and I'm a flutist. But like you don't have like I. It took me years to find a good tone. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's something you never had to think about. Like, I touched this note. It sounds good. But there are all those other subtleties that do... The subtlety of touch is a world. Oh, it's yeah. huge. And even, like, yeah. And the, even or, with the yeah. piano, there's, like, if you press... And it'll even, like, on a really good keyboard, it'll show as well. If you, like, stab, it'll sound like someone just stabbed at the piano. Rather and that's an pulling effect the sound if up. you want it. But, yeah, the idea of, like you got to have like pad fingers like mm -hmm. you're touching the piano with clouds instead of like sticks you know yep. 
Next, you're going to hear two contrasting pieces that we improvised. The first is atonal and rather frantic sounding. The second one is much more calm and utilizes more consonant tonal harmonies. Thank you. 
We've got one more clip for you this month. This one is a short excerpt from a jazzier improvisation that we did. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to plug your, your Instagram uh, or your SoundCloud or anything else? Um, basically, at this point, yeah, basically just the Instagram. The the feel the keys is the thing I I stick around with the most. I have a SoundCloud. If you want to, if you want to dig, it's like SoundCloud feel the keys. Mm-hmm. A lot of that is like stuff that I've thrown up um, just for the sake of getting it recorded and putting it out there. I haven't like dug into like the production and like like perfect performances of them but it is just an ass a uh, glimpse into what kinds of things that i write I've, on the topic of your etudes collection there so you said there are recordings of them or is it all of them or just select ones it's or? uh it's a recording of probably like 60 percent of them okay because i got like really deep in recording them at one point and then i got pulled by basically commissions like i got mm-hmm. pulled by you know writing commercial music for this uh for this guy who wanted uh, music for his videos of he's like a physical therapist and he was doing interviews okay. and stuff like that. So I got pulled to other projects because I feel like there are things I need to do and things I want to do. And composing yeah. is like constantly a battle between like, you know, okay, well I need to feel like I'm writing what I want to write, but I also have to like work on this thing that this person is expecting of me by the end of the week. Yep. So, you know, well, the, um, on, on the front of the etudes, maybe like, um, or is there a way that people can get in contact with you email-wise or something? Because I'm thinking if there's recordings and people like what they hear, could they reach out to you and you'd like, you know, it might it might not be the most polished score, but could people request a copy of one of the pieces to try it themselves? Oh, absolutely. Like, all of those pieces I have scored out, and, you know, it's not, it's not perfect in the sense of, like we were talking about before, the dynamics, right, right. the articulations and whatnot. But, um, yeah, and as long as you don't spam me with, like, computer stuff that I'm like no I didn't sign over this it's uh, D Townsend T-O-W-N-S-E-N-D piano at gmail.com so it's just D Townsend piano at gmail.com I'm more than happy to send over scores to talk shop about like theory music um, you know whatever like cool so. Or to write music for jugglers. Yeah. Right, there are any jugglers out there want music? There's a lot of Daniel alternative circuses in Philly. There's yeah. multiple. That's, yeah. yeah. I got, it's <laughs> the Philadelphia whole... School of Circus Arts that I got hooked up with. There you go. So that, like... Yeah, the the fire spinners all practice in Clark Park, so I always... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Thank you so much for listening to Sean and Dave Make Music. 
If you like the show, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. If you have any comments or would like to submit an idea or prompt for us to improvise off of, please go to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sean and Dave Make Music. We'll be back next month with a different guest and some new music. See you then. Thank you.